This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this week. Our hour of old-time radio crime begins with Nick Carter, Master Detective this time. We'll hear Four Rings of Death, his story from February 25th, 1945. After that, it's Pat Novak for Hire and Agnes Bolton, his story from June 5th, 1949. of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective, presented by the three great Linux home brighteners, Linux clear gloss varnish, Linux cream polish, and Linux self-polishing wax, created by Acme, America's great producer of fine Acme quality paints. Today's curious adventure, Boring. Nick Carter and the mystery of the Tory Islands. In just a moment, we'll hear how Nick Carter solved the mystery of the Four Rings. But first, do you realize that millions of homes are now brighter, more beautiful than ever because so many American homemakers have come to depend on Chemtone, the miracle wall finish? Now they're discovering the way to new beauty for woodwork, furniture, and floors with the three great Linux home brighteners. Linux self-polishing wax, which beautifies your floors with a satiny yet tough anti-skid finish that resists wear, water, and dirt. Linux cream polish, which cleans as it polishes, leaving no oily film on your furniture. And Linux clear gloss varnish, the durable super varnish that dries to an elastic, transparent surface which protects all wood and linoleum in your home. You'll find the three great Linux home brighteners at your hardware, paint, or department store. Your headquarters also for Chemtone, the Miracle Wall Finish. And now for today's mysterious adventure with Nick Carter. As our story opens, we find Nick and Patsy on board a small motorboat headed for Torrey Island, a small island just off the Long Island shore. If I'd known the weather was going to be like this, I never would have accepted this job. Why are you doing it, Nick? Oh, special favor to Colonel Howard. A friend of his, Andrew Jessup, asked him to find the best code expert he knew. And he said I was the man for the job. So when the colonel called me, I agreed to do it. Just what is it you're going to do? Well, it seems that back in 1776, four wealthy Tories who were afraid that Washington was going to capture Manhattan Island got all the valuables together and went to this little island where we're going now. Uh-huh. They buried everything somewhere on the island and recorded the burial place in a secret code or cipher. They lived there for a while, and later were all lost in a storm while trying to get back to the mainland. That sounds pretty fantastic, Nick. Is there any real truth in it? And his lawyer, Andrew Jessup, recently came across something that convinced him the story's true. So he rounded up the heirs of the four original Tories and arranged for them to meet on the island this afternoon. If I can decipher the code, they'll dig up the treasure and divide it. It's a some night to dig up anything, I'd say. Oh, gosh, Nick, I wish you hadn't let that boat leave us here like this. This is the loneliest-looking island I ever saw, especially on a nasty night like this. It's all right, Patsy. We'll go back with Jessup when he goes. Okay, you're the boss. Ah, that must be the house up there. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Nick, listen. Yes, I hear it. Wait here, Patsy, in the dock. I want to see what's wrong. Hey, you! Stay where you are! Get your hands up! Stop, I said! Here, let me help you. Why, dead. It's murdered. Nick! Nick, what is it? I'm okay, Patsy. This man isn't. He stopped a bullet with his head. Who is it, Nick? I don't know. Let's see if he's any identification on him. Ah, here we are. Cyrus J. File. Why, that's one of the heirs, Patsy. I remember the name. One of the heirs? Yes. Nick, what's that shining in the mud at your Hmm? feet? Where? Right there. Oh, yes. Why, it's a napkin ring. A napkin ring? Out here? What in the world? I don't know, Patsy. But let's get this man's body up to the house. 
They may know what it's all about. What in heaven's name? Are you Jessup? Yes. Who are you? Nick Carter. Oh, come in, come in. You know this man? Wait, that's file. Put him down here. What happened? Well, I heard him call out. And then I heard a shot. I found him dead. Are all your people here with you? Why, yes. File was here a few minutes ago, but discovered he'd left his glasses on my boat and went down to get them. Anyone else on the island? Only Matt O'Dell, the caretaker for the fishing company that owns the island. We're expecting Peter Brady, the personal representative of the owners, to arrive shortly, but he hasn't come yet. Where are the others? In the living room. You're sure File was murdered? You don't get a shot through the head the way he was, accidentally. You ever see this ring before? That's File's ring. It's his part of the clue to the treasure. How could a napkin ring be a clue to a treasure? I can't tell you that. I simply know that each of the four heirs has a napkin ring like this. And that the four rings together give the key to the hiding place of the treasure. Ah. And it's possible that whoever killed this man wanted to get hold of the ring for himself. Who'd want to do that? Where did this Matt Odell stay? He has a shack just below here where he lives. Why? I think I'll have a talk with him. I'll be right back. Now, this must be Odell's shack. It's the only one around here. Here. I think it'd stay home on a night like this. Well, no one's it. Who's there? That. Oh, oh, fine way to start on a case. Who the deuce would want to. Carter! Carter! Over here! What's up? Hey, what happened to you? I don't quite know, except that somebody knocked me cold when I was looking for Odell. Did you see anybody? No. Did you? No. I came down here to tell you that Odell's at the house. Came in just after you left. I thought you might be searching for him. How so long I... after I left did Odell show up? Why, about five minutes, I should say. I want to talk to that man. I think... Hey, wait a minute. The ring. Biles' napkin ring. What about it? It's gone. I had it in my pocket when I came down here, but it's gone now. So that's what your assailant was after. Uh, it looks that way. Well, let's be getting back. Fine business. One of the rings missing before we can... Now, hold on. There's a hole in my coat pocket. Maybe I... There, there, there it is. I just caught the glitter of it in the flashlight. Oh, you're right. That's it. The murderer has missed again. Hello there. That you, Jessup? Yes, who is it? Peter Brady. Oh, hello, Brady. This is Nick Carter. Who's going to solve the cipher for us. You hope. Well, the way things are going now, there may be no cipher left to solve. Well, let's get back to the house. I want to talk to Odell. Well, Carter, did you learn anything from Odell? No. But I'm pretty sure now he had nothing to do with what's been going on here. You mean he wasn't the one who hit you? No. I'm quite sure he knows nothing about that or about Files' death. Oh, by the way, Carter, I want you to meet the other three heirs. This is Cecil Whittemore. How do you do, Mr. Carter? This is George Oldman. How are you, Mr. Carter? And that's Kurt Sturdivant for the fireplace. How, How do you do, do gentlemen? Honor. I understand that no one of you men said anything to anybody about the search for the treasure you expected to make here tonight. Uh, I didn't know one. Did Brady know what this is all about, Jessup? Oh, yes. We had to tell the owners of the island what we intended to do here. Did you mention it to anyone, Brady? No, certainly not. That is, except for a chap who used to work here on the island as Odell's assistant. You mean Charlie Vainbrake? Yes, I thought he might be interested having worked here. Ah, there's the man, Carter. He worked here on the island up until about six months ago. He was a fanatic on the subject of the Tory treasure. Hunted for it every spare moment he had. Got so he felt the treasure was his because he spent so much time looking for it. You think he'd be crazy enough to come out here and start a private war to get hold of it? He might. He's practically cracked on the subject. All right, we'll see. But first, where are the other napkin rings? Each man has his own ring, Carter. Quite. Right. I have mine. And there's no doubt at all, but the treasure is still here on the island? This island hasn't been tenanted for nearly a hundred years, except for the caretakers. 
It's used as a tie-up and stopover for the boats working for the fishing company, aren't it? Brady can tell you that. Well, that's right, Mr. Carter. There's every reason to believe the stuff is right where the original owners buried it. How much is it worth? Any idea? Oh, something over two millions, as far as I can gather. Gosh, if it's worth all that, how come the whole island hasn't been dug up before this? That's a lot of money. The whole island's practically one big rock, and without some idea of where to look, it'd be an impossible job. I see. Well, whether the killer is Charlie Vane or someone else, he's probably on this island right now. First thing to do is to see that he doesn't get off the island. Then we can catch him. Sounds logical. How can we do it? Odell. Yes, sir? Will you come in here, please? Yes. What do you want? I want you to go down to the dock and take the spark plugs out of each of the company boats. Then no one can use them. Yes, sir. Jessup, you and Brady do the same with the boats you came in. All right. Come on, Brady. Right. I'm going to make a tour of the island to be sure there are no other boats here. And we can sit tight until morning. Catch whoever's behind us. I'll go with you, Nick. It's a nasty night outside, Patsy. It's very dangerous. I don't care. I'll feel safer where you are than I would anywhere else. So let's go. And yes. no argument. I'm glad that rain stopped. It's a little more comfortable out here. Well, there's the house, Patsy, right up there. Uh-huh. We've been almost round the island, and we haven't found a trace of another boat. Maybe... Wait. Huh? Aha! Look here, Patsy. On this rock. Well, there's been a boat drawn up here recently. Right. That's the only possible explanation of those scrape marks and the barnacles there. But since there's no boat here now, the killer may have left the island already. I certainly hope so. I've had enough for one night. If he got drowned in the... No! No! Now, a killer loose on the island on a black stormy night promised more trouble, and that scream sounded as if the promise has been fulfilled. How is Nick going to find the murderer of one and possibly two men before he does any more killing? And what's the riddle of the old Tory's treasure? We'll see in just a moment. Whatever your family's preference may be in home decoration, your home is bound to be more beautiful when its floors are well kept and shining. And with Linux self-polishing wax, floors always look their very best without tiresome rubbing or polishing. Yes, with Linex self-polishing wax, which is simply wiped on, your floors are handsome for a long time because Linex self-polishing wax dries to a rich, satiny, long-lasting finish that really wears, thanks to its high content of genuine Carnauba wax. And the finish may be renewed wherever you like without re-waxing the whole floor. What's more, Linex self-polishing wax is easy to keep lovely or you whisk surface dirt away in a twinkling with a damp cloth. And Linex self-polishing wax is the anti-skid floor finish, for the underwriter's laboratories have proved by test that wood, linoleum, and rubber tile floors are actually less slippery after Linex self-polishing wax has been applied. Be sure to ask for Linex, L-I-N-X, Linex self-polishing wax. You'll find all three great Linex home brighteners and Chemtone, the miracle wall finish, at hardware, paint, and department stores everywhere. And now, back to our story. We left Nick and Patsy on the beach near the house hunting for the mysterious killer. Suddenly... No! No! Nick, come on, come on. That came from the house. That you, Carter? Yes. You hear that scream, Joseph? Yes, I was just leaving my boat and I... Here, help Coming, Brady. He's dead. He landed on his head. Yes, he's dead, all right. Why, Sturtevant. Sturtevant dead, too. What's going on here? Quiet, 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 everybody. How can we find out what happened when you all try to talk at once? Quiet, please. Now, Brady. What do you know about this? I was just coming back from my boat when I heard a scream. I looked up and silhouetted against the sky were two men on the roof. One of them pushed the other over the edge screamed again as he fell. It was awful. Did you see anything else? I was looking at the body when I heard the back door slam. Then it sounded as if somebody ran off through the brush. Well, why didn't you go after him? I chased him after a murderer in the dark, unarmed. Do you think I'm crazy? I don't know. Whittemore, what do you know about Sturvin's death? Why, we, uh, Sturvin, Ullman, and I, are waiting in the living room for you and Jessup and Brady to come back. Sturvin got the bright idea that he'd go up to the roof and see if he could see anything. A little later, we heard him yell. 
And we started up the stairs to see what was wrong. You hear anything after he was killed? Why, we we thought we heard someone dash down the back stairs and out the back door. Well, you better get Sturvin's body inside. I'm going to have a look at the roof, see what I can find there. Come on, Patsy. Right with you, Nick. Find anything useful, Carter? No tracks in the ground outside that mean anything. Ground's too cut up. There's a sort of stone platform, though, up there in the roof that the Tories must have used as a lookout platform. The faint marks of two men up there. But still not good enough to help us any. There's no question, though, that Sturvenant was thrown from there. Well, what do we do now? If we had more guns, I'd suggest we all get out and try to find whoever's doing this killing. With only one gun, mine, it's hopeless. Nick, are you going to try to solve the cipher? I'm afraid we can't, Patsy. Because the killer got away with Sturvenant's ring. No, no, he didn't, Carter. Sturvenant gave it to me to keep for him. Oh, well. We still have all four rings. Our murdering friend is having all this trouble for nothing. Then let's get started. All right, let me have the rings. Here are, Carter. All four of them. Good. Now, let's see. Mm Mm-hmm. Each of these rings has a different inscription. Excuse me, dear. Mind if I go back and eat my supper? I ain't had time to eat yet, and I'm getting a mite hungry. No, no, Adele. Go right ahead. We'll let you know if we need you. Thank you. The only answer to this is that the inscriptions on the rings constitute the cipher itself. The only question is how to arrange the rings to get the correct interpretation. Nick, did you notice that there are little notches filed in the edges of the rings? Mm-hmm. Two of the rings have the notches on both the top and bottom, and these other two have them only on one edge. Yes, Patsy. I believe that if the rings are put together with the notches matching up, we'll be heading in the right direction. You mean stack them one on top of the other? Exactly. Mm-hmm. With the notches matching up in each case. The rings with the single notches will go on the top and the bottom, respectively. I see. Like this. That's it. Well, now what? You notice, Patsy? There were two lines of inscription on each ring. That's right. And from the uneven way the letters on the inscriptions are engraved, I feel sure it was done so that with the rings stacked on top of each other the way you have them, certain of the letters in the inscriptions will come directly under each other. There are only three or four places where they do that, Nick. As a matter of fact, Patsy, there's only one place, if you look closely, where the letters are really directly under each other. Yes, you're right. Write these letters down as I read them. Okay, go ahead. H A E T M L I 3. Did you say 3? Yes, one of the rings has the date 1730 in the second line. Oh, yes, of course. Hey, wait a minute. Right under the three on the bottom ring is another number. Looks like... Yes. It says 251. Write that down, too. You think that's part of it? I believe it is. Now, what have we got there? Nothing that makes sense. H-A-E-T-M-L-I-3-251. Hmm. Maybe that's in cipher, too, Betsy. Maybe... No. We've got the right ring on the top... And the right ring on the bottom, and not just prove that. Well, we've got the two rings in the center in the wrong order. We just transpose them, we... Why, of course. You're way ahead of me. Refers to a book. A book just as well known to those old Tories as it is to us. Now, where can I find a copy of it here? Ah, Matt O'Dell. He has quite a collection of books in his shack. He must have a copy there. Oh, but Nick, do you think... I'll be back in a minute, Patsy. Just long enough to get the book. Here's lights. Odell! Odell! Poison! I know those symptoms. Strychnine. Odell, Odell! What's oh, no use? He's too far gone. Yes, Odell, what is it? Who poisoned you? Did you see him, Odell? He's going too fast. Odell, can you tell me who did it? That's it. I should have known that... Connor! Connor! 
Jessup, what's happened? Why'd you call me? Upstairs, Carter, quick! Who did? What happened? The killer. Oh, no, no, no. I surprised him. He came up here. We followed him. Must have waited for us in here. Shot Altman. As I'll say, he did. Must have killed him instantly. Go on, go on. Then he shot me through the arm. Went out the window. Climbed down that big tree outside and ran off into the woods. Carter! Come here! Hurry! More trouble? I just found it, Carter. In the room where the rings were. The rings were? Uh, oh, Patsy. Patsy. Uh, Patsy, are you hurt? Oh, Patsy. my head. Oh. What happened, Patsy? Well, I was sitting here waiting for you when suddenly the ceiling fell in on me. Somebody hit you? I guess so. I didn't see anybody or hear them. Oh, Nick, the ring. They're gone. But oh. it makes no difference. I have the notes we made. I took them with me to be sure. I guess whoever hit me wanted the rings for himself. Did I hear some shooting? Yes, you did. Bullman is dead. And Brady shot through the arm. Oh, did you get back in time to catch the murderer? No. Brady says he went out the window and down a tree. I'm going outside to see if I can find anything that might be a clue. Did you find anything, Carter? I think so. Now, tell me what happened here. Well, we were all sitting in the living room when Brady heard something outside in the hall. He went out to look, and a moment later, we heard him call out to someone to stop. Ullman ran out, and they both dashed up the stairs. There were several shots, and I called to you. You know the rest. I see. Brady, did you get a look at his face? Why, no. No, I didn't. It was dark in the hall, and I couldn't see. All right, see. all right. Never mind, never mind. Let's get finished with this cipher. But, Carter, shouldn't we do something about this Plenty now? of time for that. Plenty of time. Cipher comes first. Oh, by the way, I found Matt Odell dead in his shack. Poisoned. What? Somebody put strychnine in his food. Odell dead? But why would anyone want to kill him? Matt didn't have any of the rings. Right. Odell was killed for an entirely different reason. Well, now let's get this cipher finished. I found this book in Odell's shack, and it gave me the answer. That copy of Hamlet told you where the treasure was buried? It did. You remember, Patsy, we had the letters H-A-E-T-M-L-I-3-2-5-1? That's right. Well, if you transpose the two rings in the middle of the stack we made, you get these letters. H-A-M-L-E-T. One. Three. Two, five, one. That's wonderful, Nick. Hamlet, Act One, Scene Three, Line 251. Is that it? Exactly, Patsy. I looked it up, and the clue gives us this line. Deep in the cellar, seek for our remains. And the treasure's buried in the cellar of this house. Apparently. So let's see what we can find down there. We'll probably have some hunting to do around here. But it shouldn't take too long. To... Uh, hey, hey, don't shine that light in my eyes. I can't see. Oh, sorry, Brady. Now we'll see. Look out, Nick. No, you don't, Brady. Oh, Carter. Why did you knock Brady out? He was trying to kill Nick. He was afraid I was getting too close to his secret. His secret? Brady is the murderer we've been looking for. Brady? But what about Charlie Vane? Vane existed only in Brady's imagination. He's been dead six months. Vane dead? Yes. And you'll find him buried in that corner over there. Where Brady buried him after he killed him. How do you know where he's buried, Nick? When I flashed the light in your faces a moment ago, I saw where Brady was looking. Naturally, he'd looked toward the spot which held his secret. He was afraid I might accidentally stumble on the body if we started digging down here. But how in the world did you know that Vane was dead and buried there? Odell lived long enough to give me a clue to that. And with what I already had figured out, it all made sense. That's why Brady killed Odell, to keep him from talking. Absolutely incredible, Carter. It's like a nightmare. Except that it makes sense. Vane and Brady together found the treasure when they were working here six months ago. Brady killed Vane so he could have the treasure for himself. Then when you, Jessup, organized this trip to solve the napkin ring cipher code, he determined to kill you all off so as to prevent your discovering it. Before you knew he was here on the island, he killed File, then went out again and came into dock. It was Brady who threw Sturvenant off the roof and later knocked Patsy out and killed Ullman. He also shot himself. The powder marks on his sleeve prove that. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, now let's find the treasure. Mm -hmm. 
treasure's buried in the cellar, Nick. What are we looking up here on the roof for? Oh, didn't I tell you, Patsy? The treasure isn't buried down there. It's up here. What? Up here. But the quotation from Hamlet Carter that said... The quotation I read you was not the right one, Jessup. Now, let's see. You see those large flat stones forming the platform on that side? Yes. What about them? Count off the first 11 and lift the next one up. Lift it up? Wait, cement it down, Nick. I doubt that. Go ahead, Jessup. Try it. Give him a hand with him, Moore. All right, if you say so. You seem to be right about everything so far, even defining Bane's body where you said it was. Now, what about? Lift. Oh, Nick, you're right. The stone is coming up. Oh, well, you look at that. The old Tory's treasure. Nick, look at those gorgeous rings and necklaces and gold coins. Yes, Patsy. If Jessup is right, you're looking at about $2 million worth of gold and jewels. But how did you know it was here under this particular stone carter? Because the quotation from Hamlet, the correct quotation, not the one I made up to fool Brady, reads like this. Upon the platform, twixt 11 and 12. And there was no other solution possible. In just a moment, Nick and Patsy will bring you a preview of next week's exciting case. But first, let's face the fact. Everybody's days are busy. We've all filled our daily schedules full to overflowing, doing our home front jobs and helping with the all-out effort toward victory in every way we know how. So we appreciate more than ever before what it means to relax and how much easier it is to relax when a home is pleasant and inviting. American homemakers are learning how much easier it is to keep a home that way with the three great Linux home brighteners. For example, they're learning that Linux cream polish restores the original handsomeness of fine furniture in one quick, easy application, banishes messy fingerprints, helps conceal ugly scratches, does away with cloudy old polish and dust. You see, Linux cream polish for fine furniture actually cleans as it polishes, saving one whole step in the cleaning day routine of busy homemakers, cutting their work in half. Let your fine furniture regain its loveliness with Linex Cream Polish. Remember always to ask your dealer for Linex Cream Polish, which cleans as it polishes. It's the streamlined way to furniture care. You'll find all three great Linex home brighteners at your nearest hardware, paint, or department store. And now let's hear from Nick Carter himself. Well, Nick, what's on the program for next week? Well, next week, Ken, I want to tell you about a man who was killed by an unknown poison, and apparently without opportunity or motive. Four people were gathered for a discussion on Hindu philosophy, and suddenly one of them fell over dead. None of the others had any idea what had happened. Sounds pretty blind to me. How did it work out? Well, what clues there were were uncovered accidentally and unexpectedly. And it wasn't until the second murder that things became clear. And even then, nobody but Nick could figure out what anything meant. But he got the right answer. And the murderer. Uh, what's the name of the story, Nick? I call it Poison with a Past. Or the Mystery of the Vedanta Killings. And that's all about that for now. So long. So long, everybody. And so long to you both, Nick and Patsy. We'll be looking forward to seeing you again next week. Next week at this same time, listen to another curious experience of Nick Carter, Master Detective, entitled... Poison with a Past. Or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Vedanta Killing. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is featured in Street and Smith magazine. Lon Clark is starred as Nick with Helen Schultz as Patsy. Original music is played by Lou White... And the programs are written and directed by Jock McGregor. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented at this time and over these same stations each week by the three great Linux home brighteners. Linux Clear Gloss Varnish, Linux Cream Polish, and Linux Self-Polishing Wax. Created by Acme, America's great producer of Acme fine quality paints. This is Ken Powell speaking for the thousands of Linux dealers all over America and saying... So long until next week. This is Mutual. <laughs> <laughs>
sign out in front of my office says, Pat Novak for hire. It's about the only way to make a living down on the waterfront in San Francisco. Because around here, a set of morals won't cause any more stir than Mother's Day in an orphanage. Maybe that's not good, but that's the way it is. And it wouldn't do any good to build a church down here, because some guy would muscle in and start cutting the wine with wood alcohol. All you can do is try to make the books balance, and the easiest way to do that is keep one hand on your billfold and the other hand on somebody else's. Oh, I rent boats and do anything else that'll buy a warm winter. Works out all right. It saves the government a lot of money. But if anything goes wrong, your trouble comes hard. That doesn't do any good to sing the blues, because down here, you're just another guy in the chorus. I found that out Wednesday afternoon. It started to rain up by Pier 19, and I knew there was a storm on the way. The bay looked flat and smoothed over. But you can say that for a lot of quarrels. So I closed the office and walked down to the barber shop for a shave. The barber lathered me up so I couldn't answer back and started to tell me how Dean Atkinson ought to handle things. About five minutes later, somebody walked into the shop and started tapping my foot. He got tired of that and moved up to my chest. Hey, you listening? Hey, stop pushing. That's my chest, not a buzzer. Are you listening? Yeah. What's on your mind? talk to you alone. He's a barber. He won't listen. Let's go alone. All right, let's go. I'll be back in a minute. How do you like that? I got a 14 across to my wife. He says... I want to hire you tonight. Will you do something for me? Not for friendship. I give you $200 to follow a woman. I've done it for less. Not this kind. Her name is Agnes Bolton. You'll find her at 7 o'clock tonight down at this bowling alley. Here's the card. Address is there. How do I spot her? Read it off an ankle bracelet? You won't have any trouble. She's a large woman, about 50 years old, with a reddish face. Well, that's no help. For 50, she sounds normal. Not Agnes. She couldn't pass for 90. She'll be playing in the last alley with a woman's team called the Playmores. Yeah? You'll follow her out of the bowling alley. Somewhere along the line, she'll pick up a green leather bag. After that, I need your help. It doesn't sound like love. You'll go to the Yacht Harbor. Get aboard a boat called Seventh Heaven. I want you to have your boat ready and follow her into the bay. She'll leave that bag aboard some ship. I want to know the name of it. Now, is that $200 worth? Yes. I'll wait for you in your office. Contact me there and be careful. Is she that tough? No, but her friends are. With a figure like that, how come she's got any? They're holdovers. Now, just be careful. Yeah. Well, it sounds easy at these prices. That depends on your luck, Mr. Novak. If it turns bad, you've been cheating. He stood at the door for a minute and his eyes swept the shop like a $10 broom. And then he turned around and walked off. Well, you couldn't tell anything from his face and his smile was as smooth as a pound of liver and a bucket of glycerin. Well, after I finished, I went down to Pier 19 and I took the boat up to the Yacht Harbor. I tied up near the 7th Heaven and I started downtown to that bowling alley. It was ladies' night. And I stood against the back rail and watched the women bowl. Most of them were wearing slacks, and if I ever get a few bucks ahead, I know the right business. At least the demand is there. About ten minutes after I got there, Agnes Bolton showed up, and I knew right away Max Hunter overrated her. She was at least fifty, because you can't get that ugly without years of practice. She was wearing a green woolen dress, and her figure wasn't any worse than a bale of cotton somebody's cut the wire on. The fat hung down from her arms, and there was so much of it you knew even her bones were plump. And Max was right about her complexion. It was red and scratchy as if she used a bag of sand for cold cream. Well, I must have stood there about ten minutes watching him bowl when the other girl came up. I didn't see her, but I felt her as she brushed up against me from behind. She leaned on the railing close to me and 
Once you started to talk, it was like grafting a hot iron onto your spine. You look sad, Mr. Novak. Is it the view? What are you, the repair squad? No. I want you to do me a favor. You do me one. Hmm? Slide over. I bruise easy. Oh? No, what's on your mind? I want you to do me a favor. Don't follow Agnes Bolton. You're pretty, but I got Max Hunter's dough. I'll help you spend it. Don't let Agnes Bolton get to that boat. Look, Angel, go warm up an armory. I got a deal. Suppose I tell Agnes Bolton you're going to follow her. You tell her first without taking by here. Now, if you got something on your mind, lay it on the line or relax. I want her worse than Max Hunter does. When she gets that green bag, I want you to bring her to me. I couldn't move her that far. You better rent a derrick. Please, Mr. Novak. It's important to me. I want to talk to Agnes Bolton. I can give you more money than Max Hunter. You haven't got enough to cover, lady. You're talking about kidnapping, and that's a federal rap. The answer's no. You're sure? Unless you want to change the offer. I hope you make it, darling. I may. Don't bet you $200. It's bad to die broke. Is anybody that tough? Now it's my turn to brush you off. Go ahead and follow her, Mr. Novak. But I'll bet you have to roll her the last couple of miles. Hmm? And unless you can prove it's an election bet, the police will cause you trouble. Well, I watched her as she turned her back and walked out of there. She looked real good. She was wearing a tight jersey dress that gave you the idea she either thought the weather was warm or she wasn't much on details. Well, I turned around and looked for Agnes Bolton. The game was breaking up and she started into the dressing room. A few minutes later, she came out and started down Market Street. There was no trouble following her. You could see her in the crowd. She rolled from side to side as she walked, and when she bumped into anybody, they looked back at her as if they'd been hit in the chest with a sack of jelly. She crossed the street at Stockton, went into a little coin shop. She came out about five minutes later with a green leather bag. She strapped it over her shoulder, and she held onto her purse with the other hand. At Powell Street, she got on the cable car up near the front. I moved up there to be safe. She looked heavy enough to tip a cable car uphill. In that light, she didn't look any better. Part of her hair had come undone and hung down in her face like the branches on a dead tree. I noticed her eyes for the first time. They were small and so close together they could have saved time and put them in one socket. Well, she got off the cable car at Geary and walked into a hotel. I followed her and watched her squeeze into a telephone booth on the other side of the lobby. The way she fit a sardine ought to be happy. She took some money out of her purse and started to dial. A couple of people moved in front of her, and I didn't get a look at her for about five minutes. And when they moved away, she was still talking to somebody. I looked up about ten minutes later, and I knew something was wrong. Her head was pressed against the phone. She'd run out of conversation. I walked across the lobby and opened the door to get to the phone booth. She fell out as old as she'd ever get. There, hey, help me get her over to the couch, will you? Yes, sir. Was she your wife? Well, she was. This is the way I'd want her. Her purse is spilled all over the floor. Sure is a mess. Yeah. She's some relative, huh? Look, mister, stop trying to pair us up. I was around when she tumbled out, that's all. Yeah. What'd she die from? I don't know. I just figured you might know what she died from. No, I don't. That's a simple question to answer when you know what she died from. Let me through here. Come on. All right, stand back. Give her air. She can't use any more copper. Huh? She quit about five minutes ago. Who are you? I'm not dead. She is. Then who's she? You better check on her stuff. And don't forget that green bag. Yeah. What bag? The green bag over there on the floor. Well, it was over there a minute ago. The same one the little guy had? What little guy? The one who was talking to you. He just walked out of here carrying a green bag. Well, I got out on the street, and the little man had just crossed Geary. He turned and looked back once, and I saw him melt into the crowd and disappear quick like the wake of a ship on a dark night. When I came back to the lobby, the copper was over by the couch making noises in his throat as if he was trying to eat a pound of cellophane. The manager of the hotel was wringing his hands and making little steps like a ballet dancer with a hot foot. The copper took my name, put in a call to homicide, and a few minutes later, I got into that phone booth. There was a number on the pad, and I took it down. It was Greystone 42961. Well, it didn't prove much, but Agnes Bolton wasn't out to prove much tonight. I began going through the phone book, but there was no Max Hunter listed, and when I called the office, nobody answered. I knew there was as much chance of him showing up as a second piece of butter on a 50-cent lunch. I ran down that Greystone number and found out it was an address out on Post Street. I walked through the lobby and out the side door. 
Some of the people were out of the dining room, and they looked mad because Agnes Bolton had died during the roast beef instead of later. Well, I walked down Geary to the Union Square garage and gave the guy my ticket. He started down the ramp for the car, and I stood there waiting. I must have looked lonely, because Hellman from Homicide shoved up near the cashier's cage and started over. He made his way through the cars, and as he squeezed by the last one, he looked like a sea lion. Hello, Novak. We identified her. Well, you had lots to work with, Hellman. Where are you going? Out on Post Street. I'll go with you. Her name was Agnes Bolton. You read it somewhere? She was a government agent. They got their money's worth. Coroner says she died of quick poison. How quick? Five minutes. You're working him too hard, Hellman. He's got a license. He says five minutes. She was in that phone booth ten minutes. Nobody got to her. She looked dead to me, Novak. I don't believe you. Well, I'm hurt. I don't believe a thing you say. That's up to you. I'm not starting a religion, Hellman. I watched her for ten minutes. Nobody got to her. You better check on that little guy. Yeah? She was carrying a green bag. A little guy walked out of there with it. He sounds hard to find. You don't. Hey, mister, is this your ticket? Yeah, it's a blue nag. Well, you better come down and drive it up. Why? I can't get to the wheel. The guy in there won't move. Huh? I don't blame him either. When you're dead, you got a right to rest. <laughs> Hellman stood there a minute, wiping his teeth with his tongue, and it began to sound like somebody beating the bathtub with a piece of steak. When he finished making noises, we walked down the ramp to the car. It was the little guy who had taken the green bag. He was hunched over and was grabbing the wheel as if he'd just married it. Hellman lifted his head up and laid him across the seat. The light was bad, but you could see a little of his face. It was watering around his forehead, and the damp hair was plastered down under his hat brim. The perspiration had broken up and started to run down his forehead like tears, and you got the idea he cried out of his hairline instead of his eyes. He didn't look surprised or pained. He just stared with a puzzled look as if he'd missed part of the conversation. Hellman stood there trying to wipe some egg off his coat and turning to look at the guy to make sure he didn't leave. So what happened, Novak? So he had an automobile accident, Hellman. I don't know. He's your passenger? He bummed the ride himself. When I saw him, he was on his way with that green bag. Where is it? He got talked out of it. You better check on a guy named Max Hunter. Uh, whose cousin is he? He gave me 200 bucks to tail Agnes Bolton. I got another offer, too. Yeah. A blonde biscuit, and she said everything on the beat. A total stranger. You sure met a lot of people. You better meet a lot of them, too, Hellman, because one of them got to Agnes Bolton. How about Junior here? Did he crawl down the ramp and die on your seat covers? I don't know how he got here. Well, maybe you left him here and forgot. No, he wouldn't slip my mind. I haven't murdered anybody in the front seat. Well, but it's lively, though. You better get a story, Novak. You already got mine, Hellman. You won't like the ending. No, but I bet you do. I like it fine, Novak. You're the only lead on Agnes Bolton. I'll shop around and get enough to pin you down. You couldn't pin down a dead butterfly, Hellman. You better look up Max Hunter and check on a boat called the Seventh Heaven. I will, and I'll put a tail on you, Novak. Follow you all over San Francisco. He'll go any place. That's fine, because I got a suggestion. As soon as Hellman left, I took a cab out to that address on Post Street, but it was a waste of time. I might as well have been peddling tip sheets in a monastery. There was a brown house on the corner, and there was a big curved window that stuck out from the rest of the house like a wart on the back of your neck. A toothy old man answered the door and said he didn't know Agnes Bolton. I was pretty sure he was on the level. He just kept nodding his head and rubbing the wrinkles on his face. There were enough of them there to bundle up and sell as a canal. I left no downtown again. On the way, I went by the yacht harbor, and the seventh heaven had moved out into the stream. Well, it was raining harder now, and the rocks looked shiny as if somebody had given them a coat of egg white. Well, I had a couple of places to hit, so I looked up Jocko Madigan. He's a good guy who never learned that if you keep your foot on a bar rail for 20 years, it'll do more good for your arches than it will for your brain. I finally found him in the hunt room of the Bellevue Hotel. A drink for Mr. Novak. Uh, something to take off the chill. No, I don't want to drink, Jocko, and you've had enough, too. I refuse to shiver to death, Patsy. I'd look terrible with a blue face. Will you stop drinking, Jocko? I hate whiskey, Patsy, but I'm drinking tonight with a purpose. I made a deal with Charlie the bartender to buy every eighth drink, and I've got him on the run. By morning, I'll have him in bankruptcy court. Look, Jocko, I'm in trouble. I always know when I've had enough to drink, Patsy. When I tilt the glass up, the rim rubs against the bridge of my nose. It's a sort of safeguard so that when my nose begins to break out in blisters, I know I've had enough for the night. Will you listen? Patsy, you sound like a young girl coming home from boarding school. You'll never be on the right side of things. You'll always be in trouble because you're a bad citizen. 
You're a shabby half-step in the march of progress. All right, Jocko. You don't know the difference between good and evil. For you, all of human endeavor is a vague blur in high heels. And your vocabulary is a few gutter terms sandwiched in between yes and no. You'll never be any good, Patsy. Yeah, yeah. You might as well try to recapture melancholy or ventilate a swamp. You haven't a chance, Patsy. You'll never be any good. Are you all through, Jocko? Yes, if you're going to be touchy. Hellman wants me on a murder rap. Yes? Some tubby woman died in a hotel lobby. Sounds like his mother. She was a government agent. I followed her in there. Patsy, you've got to start trusting the government. I was paid to follow her, but she ate some poison somewhere along the line. Ah, uh, that's the trouble with food. I got hired by a guy named Max Hunter. Look him up and resign. That's the best way out of this thing. I don't know where to find him. And I think that Max Hunter's a phony. Oh, you got to help me. Yeah? Now, he gave me this card. His prints must be on it. Check it down at headquarters, will you? Find out if he's got a record and then tag by my place. Yes, uh, I'd better have a drink first. There's an ugly taste in my mouth. I, uh, I think it's saliva. Will you hurry up, Jocko? All you do is drink. That's all I have left, Patsy. I'm too young to die and too old to do almost anything else. Yeah, sure. It's true, Patsy. When you get to be my age, most of the quiet pleasures are fattening, and most of the active ones would kill me. Good night, lover. <laughs> Jocko, I dropped by the Chronicle morgue to look up Max Hunter. There was nothing under Hunter. I looked through every Max from Bear back to Beerbum, and I couldn't find a thing. Well, it was close to 11 when I rode down to the office for a final check. It wasn't raining hard anymore. It was a nice, easy drizzle. You could hear it playing against the sheds along Pier 19. It sounded quiet, almost private, like the sound a woman makes when she runs her fingernail up and down her stocking. It got on your nerves at first, and then you began to enjoy it. The minute I got to the door, I knew something was wrong. There wasn't any reason, but I got the feeling. The same way you know sometimes when you're going to get the busy signal on the phone. I could see her lying there on the floor before I turned on the light. You took one look at her, and you knew she was the sort of girl whose name ought to be Pearl or Myrtle. Somebody'd sapped her, and she was lying with one hand stretched out and the other under her hair. It wasn't really hair. It looked more like a pelt or a raccoon just after a shampoo. It was fuzzed up on the sides, and on top she'd combed it back so tight it was about to go under the scalp. She began to move a little. When I bent over, she started to mumble. What do you want? The red, if you're going to stay long. Here, put your head up. Are you Mr. Novak? It's too late to change. Where's Agnes Bolton? Where'd she go, Mr. Novak? I don't know where she went. Was she a good girl? Something's happened to her. Don't worry, it won't happen again. Who sent you here, Max Hunter? Yeah. Please help me out. All right, come on. I'm Francine Kane. I came to find out about Agnes Bolton. You're a deep sleeper. What happened? You wouldn't know her. I would if she's a tall blonde on the make for that green bag. Who is she? Joan Hayward. You can find her at the Geary Theater. She an actress? Not exactly. Yeah. Her stray talents, Mr. Novak, are dimensional rather than dramatic. You're smart, you'll stay away from her. Don't tell him anymore, Fran. He's paid up. Hello, Hunter. You oversold me. You give me back the 200. I'm going to give you lots for your money. Don't include Agnes Bolton. I don't know anything about her. Is that a lie? Might be. There's a green bag. Joan Hayward has it. Is that a lie? The little guy didn't think so. She left him dead in my car. Let's go, Fran. No, you're in a hurry, Max. You're not. I hope you like your office, Novak. Huh? Because this is where you're going to spend the night. <laughs> Don't let him feel bad, lady. It must have been his turn. When I left, he was crumpled up against the desk and she was staring down at him as if she forgot to water the plants. When I rode by the Geary Theater, it was dark, so I looked up Joan Hayward's address. When I got out to her place, I knew I'd made a mistake. The landlady clutched her bathrobe like a bar of solid gold and Told me Joan Hayward left the house ten minutes ago. There was a cabbie at the corner, and he said he dropped her at the Gold Bar Club a few minutes before. I got down there about one o'clock, and Hellman was wandering around, stopping every few feet as if he expected to hear something. The bar was dark except for a light over on one side, and over near the jukebox, Joan Hayward was stretched out as dead as a deer on a fender. At first, Hellman didn't pay any attention when I walked in. I stood there for a while and looked at Joan Hayward... She still looked pretty, except in the dim light her skin looked coarse and reminded you of a piece of felt that was almost worn out. 
But the rest was all right. And Hellman came over for another look. What did you forget, Novak? My black tie. How'd it happen? The bar was closed. Where were you? Crawling out from under your thumb. Yeah. We're going to keep that coroner. It was quick poison. Yeah. We found a needle in her coin purse. She didn't know about it and ran into trouble when she started to call up. You better find this guy, Max Hunter. That's going to be hard. Yeah? There is no Max Hunter. Does she believe that? Your shaker friend came in with a card. We went over the fingerprints. They belong to Jackie Wren. He's wanted for espionage. For more than that now, Hellman. Maybe. Where have you been? Look, Hellman, stop needling me. I won't go on the block for her. Don't you like her? I got an alibi you can't break. I've been all over town. Ask your tale. Ask your tale where I've been. That won't get it. Huh? He reported in at 11.30. You got the wrong idea, Novak. You don't raid overtime. downhill. Hellman could stick me for everything but Dan McGrew. My only out was to find Jackie Wren, but you can't ring that many doorbells in one night. I went through the book, but there was no Jackie Wren or Max Hunter listed. I went home to get some sleep, and if they turned Gabriel loose tonight, that was all right with me. Jocko called up about nine and said there was still no trace of Wren. Well, some mornings you can't trust yourself with a razor, so... I got dressed and went down to a Greek's on Geary Street for breakfast. The murder was all over page one, but there were so many pictures of Hellman, you couldn't tell who was dead. I was about halfway through breakfast when I noticed the story down in the corner. A girl named Tony Pritchard had been found dead out in the marina. The story said everybody liked her. The police didn't have a lead, and they couldn't find a reason. Seemed kind of funny, but when I got to the last paragraph, I began to wonder... It said she was employed by the Musitone Company and worked the late shift as a switchboard operator. I wasn't sure, but you can't pass the dice when you only got a buck left, so I jumped down to see Frank Lupo. He said the Musitone Company owned the jukebox in the gold bar club, and that it worked like all the rest. People use a little microphone in front of the box, they call into a main switchboard for songs. I grabbed Jocko and we got up to the Musitone Company. The guy in charge said, sure, they recorded some of the talk just to check on the girls, and sometimes the girls did it just for laughs. Well, we started through the recordings, and about half hour later, Jocko rolled a seven. No, Patsy, they're all old ones. Try this. Yeah. Well, put it down. I'll handle the needle. Uh, there. You're crazy, Jackie. She'll know something's wrong. Let me handle it, friend. You'll just get into trouble. I don't want you to get into trouble, Jackie. Will you let me worry? You get back to the hotel. I'll meet you at the Kenwood right after. It's too late. She's coming now. I'll be gone as soon as you call, Jackie. You made a mistake, Joe. That's enough, Jocko. Let's get up to Kenwood. Why don't we think it over a while? Put the record down and come on there at the Kenwood. You heard the shots. That's what I'm worried about. If that fellow's any kind of a mechanic, he's had time to reload. I got down to headquarters and told Hellman why that girl, Tony Pritchard, lost her vote. We rode out to the Kenwood, and Hellman started through the register. There was no Jackie Wren listed, and we didn't have any better luck with the girl. I briefed the desk clerk, and he said he thought there were two people in the hotel who looked like that, but he didn't know their names. Well, all we could do was wait for him to show. So Hellman and I walked down the street and slid into the car. It must have been about 3 o'clock, and for the next four hours, we sat in there. About 7 o'clock, it began to rain harder. It wasn't easy to see the front of the Kenwood. I got out to wipe the windshield, and that was a mistake, because just then the door of the hotel swung open. The girl came out first, and then Jackie ran. He saw me right away, and the two of them jumped over to the curb and got into a car. Riding with Hellman's, just about as safe as eating an arsenic sandwich. When we got to the corner, they turned east and started down Bush. It wasn't easy to stay behind them. The rain was hitting the windshield, and it was like trying to see through a mint julep. When we got past Jones, Hellman began to close in. It must have scared Wren too much because it stopped and he swung the car around with Hellman a few feet behind and it was a dead end both ways. He can't get out now. Open the door. Yeah. There he is, over to the wall. Over here, Hellman. He'll go down that embankment on the other side. Well, he can't. It's too steep. Stay on this side. Can you see him? No. But he's around, I think. You got a chance now, Wren. Come on out. I don't like you that well, mister. Over there by the embankment. Can you see the girl? She's with him. Over to one side. Move up in front. Oh, you're confused, Hellman. I pay the taxes. It's gonna hurt from now on, Ren. I'm coming over. I hope you make it, copper. 
All right, copper, unless you want a medal, I'm through. You don't need the gun, then. Get rid of it. Just toss it over there. I can't even lift my arm. Throw it down, mister. Jackie, Jackie, please. I'll throw it right at you, copper. Francine, you crazy woman, you crazy... You let him kill me. He's going over that embankment. You let him kill me right in front of you. No. No, Jackie. Please, Jackie. I tried to stop you. I tried to stop you, Jackie. Grab her, Novak. She's going over. Leave me alone. I want him. Jackie, I want you. Grab her. I want you, Jackie. At least they can let me have this. Jackie! Long way down. Yeah. Too bad her name wasn't Jill. Last I saw Francine, she was lying down at the bottom in the rain. Her head was over to one side, and you knew with a little push she'd roll around as easy as a ball bearing on a plate. Her face was clean, but the rain was beginning to wash the dirt down, and when I left, she wasn't pretty anymore. Jackie ran outlasted her by a few hours, and Hellman used them all. Agnes Bolton was carrying government papers bound for China. The four people were split into teams... Jackie Wren and Francine were trying to outbid Joan Hayward and the little guy. The way Jackie had it figured, he'd find out what ship they were going out on and pick it up from there. Joan Hayward knew he was dealing with me, so she followed me after I left that barber shop. She saw me park the car in that garage and tailed me down to the bowling alley. She planted the needle in Agnes Bolton's purse, and the little guy tagged along behind waiting for something to happen. Just to be on the safe side in case anything went wrong... Joan doubled by the office and gave Francine a headache. When the little guy got the green bag, he took it to Joan. It was too good to split, so she killed him and left him in my car. Well, then she made a mistake. When Jackie called her up and asked her to come down to the gold bar club, she bought the story. Well, it would have worked out fine for Jackie if he hadn't talked in front of that microphone. But a nosy girl heard it and tried to put the screws on him. Well, Hellman asked only one question. About that conversation between Jackie and the girl. Why would a person say anything that private in front of a microphone? I don't know. But I told him about a couple of others Jocko and I heard. He didn't say anything. But I'll bet he gets a hold of those records and plays them every night before he goes to sleep. Closed this week. Hope you enjoyed today's show. You can find more from Nick Carter, Pat Novak, Case Closed, all the other Relic Radio podcasts, and thousands of other old time radio shows at relicradio.com. 
like to help support this and all of the shows, you can do so through the website as well. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.